Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. The Danny Mac Show with BK. Podcast powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Into the count on Marte. And he hits it out to deep right field. Fowler back. And oh, he caught it. He caught it. What a play by Dexter Fowler. And let's turn two. What a play. Fowler in right. Fowler a drive. Deep right. The second consecutive night. Let's say it. Dexter Fowler, some good moments in St. Louis, some up and down moments in St. Louis, and now no longer a St. Louis Cardinal. The news coming out late last night. Welcome into the show, Danny Mac Show with BK. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Brandon Kiley is out at Centene, and it is the Friday edition of the show. If you're just joining us, the Cardinals trade outfielder Dexter Fowler, cash considerations to the Angels, for a player to be named later. The Cardinals will pay roughly about $13 million of Fowler's $14.5 million salary this year. And quote to Derek Gould of the Post-Dispatch from John Mozeliak, quote, we were hoping to make it clear in the outfield that we wanted to see what some of our young outfielders could do. It became a little challenging to see how we could get 350 plate appearances for Dex. And after talking with him, we both felt like it was in his best interest if we could find a place where he could fit, end quote. Fowler signed, if you remember, a five-year, $82.5 million deal after the 2016 season. And with the Cardinals, a 233 average, 49 home runs. Drove in almost 200 runs batted in, a 334 on base percentage. Originally, when the Cardinals signed him, he was supposed to be the center fielder. He was supposed to be the Cardinal leadoff man. As Dexter went, the Cardinals would go. So now it opens up what could be the opening for, let's say, Dylan Carlson in right field, maybe Lane Thomas, more playing time for some of these young players, Harrison Bader, Lane Thomas, Justin Williams, maybe even an Austin Dean. Not many people talk about him, Justin Williams. Uh, BK, your initial thoughts on this deal. What do you think? I think that it confirmed that what the Cardinals have been saying is not just lip service. They're paying They're paying Dexter Fowler to go away. This is not a salary dump. They're paying $12.75 million of Fowler's $14.5 million salary for this upcoming year. They're only getting about a million and a half of salary relief for this upcoming year. This is about playing time. This is about them being able to make good on actually finding out what these young outfielders can do to them. Now, there is a potential disclaimer here. Let's see what happens over the coming weeks. I don't know if there's another move coming, but as as of right now, it looks like Dylan Carlson will be assured in everyday spot in the outfield. And then to me, Dan, what I would guess, you're going to see a lot of Harrison Bader in center, and you're going to see O'Neal and Thomas competing for the other spot. And then Justin Williams now, at least based on the roster as currently constructed, would make the big league club and would get his opportunities as a maybe a bench bat against right-handed relievers. So 
I think that it makes a lot of sense. They simplified their outfield approach with what they did late last night. Yeah, it tells me for sure Dylan Carlson is an everyday player. That is definite. And when I talk to a lot of people in and out of the game, uh, whether you're a player in the game or those that, when I say out of the game, I mean non personnel player personnel but people that evaluate the game they look at him as maybe being a center fielder but certainly could play right field and play it well as an everyday player so i i penciled dylan carlson in as your everyday right fielder right now bader would be center fielder now what it does for the cardinals currently constructed and you're right disclaimer at this point you don't know if the cardinals would go out and maybe sign another outfielder uh sign another uh, veteran player that could play the outfield or um, a guy that uh, could play the infield and the outfield marwin gonzalez is an interesting guy that's out there you, you, you never know uh that's just a name i'm throwing out there but that type of player um, what it tells me is that they're going to give these young guys, like they've said, currently constructed every chance to play and compete. They want to find out about these guys. And by all accounts, most people in baseball are saying these 60 games that they just played, throw that out the window. So it's Dylan Carlson, it's Bader, it's O'Neill. If I had to project an opening day lineup, that's probably where I would go with Lane Thomas really knocking hard on the door, especially when there's a right-handed pitcher. We know Bader struggles against right-handed pitching. Now, if he comes out of spring training and competes and competes well against right-handed pitching, and starts the season hitting well against right-handed pitching, that's a different story. And Lane Thomas can push the envelope a little bit here. So can Justin Williams. So can an Austin Dean. But this trade opens up the door for them to allow them to find out what they have. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what they decide to do here, Dan, because Lane Thomas is a guy that going into last year, we heard so much about. There were legitimate questions as to whether or not it was going to be O'Neill or Thomas that got more of those opportunities. O'Neill, of course, has the power potential, and that's the key there, the potential of hitting for power. If you look at the actual power numbers that they've produced at the big league level, Thomas has actually been a little better from that perspective yes, so far in his career. So it's all about the potential with O'Neill, and it's about the production with Lane Thomas. Thomas has produced every time he's been put in the lineup. It is just an incredibly small sample size. It's 85 total plate appearances. That's like being an everyday big leaguer for a month. I mean, we've seen this before, Dan. Jeremy Hazelbaker was amazing. I looked it up this morning to see what his first 85 plate appearances looked Hazel like in the big Raker, leagues. baby. It was a 980 OPS, Dan. He looked like one of the best hitters in all of baseball. So I was very excited about getting to see what uh, what Thomas could do as well going into last season. I will temper expectations a bit just because we've seen this before, but I think he's going to get some opportunities here because the Cardinals still seem to be very high on him. The Air Comfort Service text line is open for you. That's 65780, 65780. Rhino Shield mic drop as well. The 101 ESPN app. We'll get to some of those later in the show. I, I want to ask you if you had to sum up what you thought of the Dexter Fowler four-year run here in St. Louis. How would we sum it up? One year was awful. It was. It was just a terrible year. Um, he later would talk in the offseason of dealing with some depression even about that year. It was It was just a bad year. 
I, the, the, the marriage between Mike Matheny and Dexter Fowler, it just wasn't a fit. You know, they brought him in here to kind of loosen things up, too. You know, remember, they brought him in here to kind of get the guys going, uh, to be a loosening presence inside the clubhouse. Um, they brought him in here to be an on-base machine, which he had been in Chicago. Also, you steal him, in a way, from the rival. He didn't put up the numbers you probably thought he might put up. It was an interesting run with Dexter Fowler because he was also brought in to play center field, which wasn't the case. He wound up moving to a corner outfield position. He was been uh, a guy that had been at the top of a lineup primarily in his career. That wasn't the case. And he really struggled hitting from the right side of the plate. His numbers from the right side of the plate were not good. Now, when he hit from the left side of the plate, pretty good. He's actually in his time in St. Louis was above average, but I think the way that you would look at the the tenure of Dexter Fowler in St. Louis, the way I would look at it, it was so-so. It wasn't great. It was so-so. If I had to put a word on it, and 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. would love to get the texters' uh, thoughts on this as well. I would say it was symbolic. Symbolic of a time in Cardinals baseball when everything kind of went this way, right? They were looking for certain guys to fit certain roles without actually getting that middle of the order bat that we all knew they were missing. Carpenter was asked to do a little more than he probably should have been. Fowler was asked to do a little more than he should have been. DeYoung was asked to be a cleanup hitter when he's probably not that. You look back at the free agent signings in this time period. There were a lot that went wrong. Mike Leake, Brett Cecil, Andrew Miller, Dexter Fowler. I think that Dexter Fowler in a lot of ways was symbolic of what the last four years were for Cardinals baseball. It was always, it left you wanting more. Even after that first season, Dan, when he was actually really productive. If you look at OPS Plus, which I like to look at, he was 20% above league average as a hitter, but the conversation was never about what he did at the plate, but rather what he wasn't capable of doing in the outfield defensively. And so I think if you look back at this Cardinals tenure for Dexter Fowler, it was symbolic. I think he personified a lot of the issues that plagued the Cardinals team over the last four years. So I think it'll be good for him. I think it'll be good for the Cardinals for both sides to get a little bit of a reset. Yeah, and I think if he was going to come back, he should never have faced left-handed pitching. I I think he became a guy that only would face right-handed pitching because as a Cardinal, Fowler was 20% below league average offensively against lefties. 5% doing, I'm just doing some numbers. He was 5% above the average when swinging against right-handers. His OPS facing right-handed pitching was 767. That's 108 points higher than his OPS against lefties. So breaking down the numbers, you start looking at this and you say, if you're Mike Schilt and I've got some guys that do pretty well against righties and lefties, and you just start, you've got options with these outfielders. You're saying, you know what? When it comes to left-handed pitching, I've got other options. I don't need to face, uh, have Dexter Fowler facing left-handed pitching. The split was even more pronounced over the last two seasons. 779 OPS against right-handed, but only 630. 630 BK against those lefties. So that's a 35% difference in Fowler's performance against righties. 9% above league average compared to the lefties. 26% below the uh, the average. So, you know, I, I don't want to hit you with too many numbers, but I think sure. you get the point is that if you have other options to face that left-handed pitching, and that's where you start saying, if you're John Mosellock, look, your numbers in terms of at-bats are going to be limited because, number one, we have other options to face uh, left-handed pitching, and you're not one of them. 
and we have other options with guys because we have younger options right now and we want to do what's right for your career this probably makes sense to reunite you with joe madden yeah, and Dan, I hope this is something that the Cardinals buy into going into this upcoming year. And it, they've spoken on it previously, and it sounds like based on what they did with Fowler here, maybe they're actually going to follow their own instructions going into this upcoming year. But in the past, especially the last few years, they, they haven't really done the... It doesn't even have to be a traditional platoon, but they haven't really gone to that path too often. Like Harrison Bader has had so many opportunities against right-handed pitching and we've just seen it now. He's not good against those guys. That's fine. We we know pretty well what he is and what he is not. And what he's not is a great hitter against righties. He is, though, a fantastic hitter against lefties. Use him for what he is good at. Accentuate those positive traits, those positive qualities that he brings to the lineup. And try to go ahead and eliminate, negate some of those weaknesses. So put him out there against lefties, less so against righties. I think they've got guys that they can use Thomas is pretty darn good against righties. Put him out there against righties and Bader against lefties. Boom, you've got your center field production from those two guys. That's BK. I'm Danny Mack. This is 101 ESPN. Coming up, we'll visit with Daniel Descalso. He was a world champion in 2011. Some very good years in St. Louis. Ten years in the big leagues. Played with Nolan Arenado. And we'll do that next on 101 ESPN. This is the Danny Mack Show with BK. The podcast powered by I Promise. Trying to cut this run off. Long drive. Deep to right. Back to the wall. And this ball is gone. Grand slam, Daniel Descalzo. How about that? That is crushed. Right field, Descalzo with a home run. A two-run shot. And it's 4 to nothing, St. Louis. Coming down to the wire in this game. And there's a ball hit off the glove of Desmond. Two runs are going to score. The Cardinals are tied up. Descalso with a sharp ground ball off the glove of Ian Desmond. And we have a new ball game. And the Cardinals coming back and tying the game at 7-7. In the air to left, well hit. Back is Craig. What a team. What a ride. The Cardinals are world champs. Some great moments from Double D, Daniel Descalso, highlighted by the 2011 World Championship. I'm Dan McLaughlin. BK is with us. The Danny Mac Show on 101 ESPN. Spring training right around the corner. And let's visit with a 10-year veteran of Major League Baseball and one of our favorites, part of the Memphis Mafia, Daniel Descalso. Double D, how are you doing, buddy? What's going on? I'm great, guys. Uh, good morning to you. Thanks for having me on. When's the last time you heard Memphis Mafia? It's been a while, but you know, every every now and then somebody likes to bring that up, and uh, of course that that brings up some uh, fond memories for myself and the other Mafia members. I can't believe it's it's been ten years since 2011. Is that hard to, to believe for you? Yeah, it is. You know, I got a I have a lot of a lot more gray on the top of my head and in my beard that that I had back then. Uh it's it's flown by. It seems like it was just yesterday. What what are you up to right now? Where are you living? Are are you still trying to play? What what are you up to right now? Yeah, you know, I'm just spending the off season uh back in the Bay Area, the San Francisco area, um where we've called home for a long time. Um uh, yeah, just uh staying ready, uh waiting for uh you know some things to uh sort themselves out and and uh you know, staying ready trying to play trying to play another season 
We're talking to Daniel Descalso here on 101 ESPN. Daniel, I wanted to ask you about the big news here in St. Louis, a guy that you certainly know very well, Nolan Arenado, the newest Cardinals third baseman. What would you make of the trade whenever you found out about it? Well, you know, uh, I've seen those rumors for quite a while now, and, um, you know, when when that popped up again last weekend, I was like, oh, here we go again. You know, maybe that's probably not going to get done, but, um, you know, sure enough, they pulled it off, and, you know, what a great fit he'll be. Um, you know, anchoring that infield along with another former former teammate of mine and Goldie, um, it's going to be a formidable punch on the corners and in the uh, in the middle of that lineup. Tell us what kind of person, what kind of player, Daniel, that the the Cardinals and the fan base are getting in Nolan Arenado. Well, no, Nolan's been uh, one of my favorite teammates that that I've had the pleasure of playing with. Um, you know, it's easy to go go and say you know the guy loves to win, and there's a lot of guys out there like that, but. Uh, I think what sets Nolan apart is he, he hates to lose. Um, you know, he's so competitive, whether it's on the field, you know, wiffle ball with his, with his brothers and cousins or, or on the golf course. The guy, he really hates to lose, and, and he brings that, that passion and that work ethic to the field every night. And I think the more that Cardinals fans see him on an everyday basis and, and how he, you know, wows defensively, how he's going to make plays that, you know, it seems like it's going to be a double down the line and it turns it into a double play. I think the more they see him, the more they'll grow to love him and appreciate him. Is he the best defender right now in, in, in baseball, not just at third base, but all across the board, in your opinion? Um, you know, I, I always tell people when they ask about Nolan's defense, I, I, I'm not taking anything away from Yachty. I respect Yachty, and he's one of my favorite teammates and a great competitor, but they're, they're 1A and 1B, whatever order you want to put them, as far as you know, guys that can have an impact um, on the game from a defensive standpoint and, and just, uh, you know, make, make offense a lot harder for the other team. Daniel, we always hear about the competitiveness that Nolan Arnado has. Do you have a story, an anecdote, something that would kind of uh, put that into words, kind of show Cardinals fans what you're talking about there? So my, my first spring in Colorado, um, 2015, you know, show up a, a week or so early, you know, new team trying to, you know, get my best. And, you know, we go out there to take ground balls and, uh, I forget where I was taking ground balls, either second or short, but Nolan's over there at third, um, you know, and he's got, he goes backhand, you know, jump throw on the run, spin in the hole, like all these plays that, you know, I'm just sitting there taking, taking my first ground balls of, of the uh, of spring training. This guy's in midseason form, like, you know, all those plays that, that he makes that are, you know, highlight real plays. He practices all of those throwing from all those angles, throwing on his knees, you know, spinning in the hole. So, you know, all, all that stuff he works on so that in the game, it just naturally takes over and happens. Daniel Descalso is our guest, world champion of the Cardinals in uh, 2011. It, Daniel, um, it, it's amazing to me that Yachty and Wayno are, are still going. What, what are your thoughts on that, to see these guys still going? When you came up, they were in the middle of their career, and now they're still going. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's great to see, you know, uh, guys that have longevity like that and can stick around with, with one organization, one team for their whole career, you know, you don't, you don't often get a chance to, to do that in this game. So for those guys to still be playing and performing at a high level, I mean, you've seen, you've seen Wayno battle some, some injuries and some tough years and, and come back and, and, you know, still, still have that curveball and still be very effective on the mound. And, you know, I think they're going to have to pry that, that catcher's gear off of Yachty. He's, he'll catch as long as they let him and, and you know how, uh, how tough he is and how competitive he is. And, you know, he's, uh, he's going to do it as long as he can. 
Daniel, if this is the last year, though, for those guys, what do you think? Let's assume that we can have fans back in the stands this upcoming year, and God willing, fingers crossed, we can. What do you think that? What do you think that send off's going to be like from Cardinals fans for Wayno and Yachty? Well, I, I think everyone knows um, the, how the Cardinals fans feel about about Yachty. He's he's got this. Uh, you know, this following with Cardinal Nation, they they appreciate everything that he does, and he gets some of the loudest ovations that that you're going to hear. Um, you know, on opening day when they announce the lineup, or you know when he comes up to hit. Uh, I think the Cardinals fans truly have, love Yachty, and they, they have a, a huge amount of respect for him. And then obviously Wayno as well, what he's done on the mound all these years, closing out uh, the World Series uh, as a as a young a young pitcher, and then you know becoming the anchor of that rotation for the last what, 10, 15 years. So um, I, I think that if they get a chance to uh, to be in the stands and watch those guys in, in person, I, I think they will they will cherish it because who knows uh, how, how much longer they're going to be able to do that. Did you ever talk to, to Nolan or have you talked to him since the acquisition about playing in St. Louis and, and what this is like, the experience of playing here? So I, I've talked to him a little bit, but more about his, uh, his golf in the uh, waste management pro-am uh-huh. uh, the other day. Uh, I figured he had been getting a, a lot of, you know, calls and texts from either, you know, guys that he knows that played in St. Louis or, you know, a lot of people have probably been, been bothering him. So I was going to wait till it settled down and, and then, uh, you know, then maybe talk to him a little bit, but I know he's excited. Um, he wants to win so bad. I, I think, you know, he got a taste of the playoffs in, in 17 and 18 in Colorado and, um, they were out pretty quickly, and so uh, I think he's looking forward to uh, you know making a lot of deep runs in the postseason with uh, St. Louis. What would you tell him about playing in St. Louis? Uh, I, I would he I would just tell him that it's it's a great fan base. Um, they're gonna they're gonna really appreciate the way he plays the game, the passion that he brings. Um, you know, it, it's a fan base that that expects to win. You know, they they hate to lose just like he does, and so he'll fit right in. What do you think the reception is going to be like for him? Oh, he'll get a, he'll get a huge ovation. Not maybe not as big as a uh, Wayno and and Yachty, but uh, I imagine um, you know opening day when he rides in on the uh, on the truck, assuming that we're able to do that this year, and and, and there's some fans in the stands. I think uh, I think he'll feel right at home. Daniel, when you look back at your time here in St. Louis, I, I would imagine 2011 that run has to be the pinnacle of what your memories are here, but. Other than that, what immediately comes to mind for you? What was your favorite memory in your time in St. Louis? Well, um, you know, World Series championship aside, I think that 2012 series against the Nationals, especially Game 5, um, you know, the comeback we had being down six runs early and sort of, you know, fighting our way back in the game and giving ourselves uh, a chance to win and, and me being fortunate enough to be right in the right in the middle of all that um, – that was a special game, uh, special series. Uh, just all, all those playoff runs. I mean, we went to the NLCS four years in a row. Um, it's not a whole lot of guys to get a chance to do that. So, you know, just the, the fact that we got to play in so many playoff games, so many big games, it's something that I always remember. What do you think it's going to be like for Tony La Russa? You played for Tony, um, 76, and getting in the dugout again, Daniel. What do you think that's going to be like for him and, and for those guys that play for him? Well, yeah, I'm glad to see Tony back in there. He's, you know, one of my all-time favorites. Um, you know, as as a rookie, being able to play for for a legendary manager, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, really special for me. A guy that I grew up following his Oakland A's teams. Exactly. Yeah. You know, get to play for him as well. Um, you know, he might need a might need to drink a little more coffee or have a Red Bull <laughs> to stay, stay up late and, uh, into the into the uh, later innings. But you know, no one no one is as prepared 
as Tony and no one does his, his, uh, his homework more than him. So, um, you know, the, the AL central is going to have their work cut out for him. Now that Tony's back. Last question that I've got for you, Daniel, we're talking to Daniel Descalso, former Cardinals infielder here on 101 ESPN. We've talked so much really in recent years, but especially over the last week or so about the Coors splits. And you are certainly familiar with those. What would you tell Cardinals fans about what it's like to play in Colorado? We've learned more over the years about what it does to players' bodies and how the ball breaks in Colorado. How would you describe for Cardinals fans what it's like to play there and what Nolan Arenado is going to be as a hitter now that he's away from Coors Field? Yeah, the uh, the Coors Field effect is a real thing. Um, you know, you, you play a 10-game series on the road, let's say. Um, you get used to how pitches break at sea level. You know, you um, you, they tell you to drink a lot of water on the flight back home, you know, really hydrate, try to make that adjustment a little easier. But then you, you go to play the game, and, you know, those curveballs are, are not quite as sharp. They're, they're hanging up a little bit. Sometimes change-ups can cut. Um, you have to go from first to home. You're, you're catching your breath for another, like, two innings after that, it feels like sometimes. And then by the end of a long home stand, you just feel kind of gassed. So um, I know it's something they, they try to stay on top of with, uh, you know, recovery tactics and, you know, trying to get a little extra sleep or, or stay extra hydrated. Um, but that's one less thing that no one's going to have to worry about now. Um, and it, he'll be, uh, you know, probably better for it. Final question for you, Daniel. Uh, amazing. You got 10 years in the big leagues. What, what does that mean to you? Everybody talks about, I want to get 10 years in the bigs. Uh, as a guy that it, bounced around position to position and, you know, worked your, your rear end off to get there. What, what does that mean to get to 10 years in the bigs? Well, you know, for me, I, I just think it, it shows that uh, the staying power and the, my ability to like adjust and adapt and, uh, you know, try to stay relevant. The game's changed a lot since I, since I first uh, came up, um, you know, with the influx of analytics and, uh, you know, shifts and this and that. But I just try, I'm always trying to learn, trying to improve, um, find ways to stick around and, and help teams win. And I think that's been able, uh, allowed me to, to stick around for 10 years. So, uh, yeah, you know, my, myself and John Jay, we challenged ourselves when we were young players, hey, let's push each other to get to 10. Uh, we were both able to get there there this year. So uh, that was that was really special for the both of us. And you got to be a good guy and a good teammate to do that too and have a good reputation in the game, and you certainly have that. Congratulations, Daniel. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate your time, and hopefully we'll uh, see you at a ballpark very soon. Thanks for doing this. Of course, guys. Good to talk to you. You too. That's Daniel Descalso, world champion of the St. Louis Cardinals in 2011. And the Cardinals, if things PK go to, to normalcy this year, are going to be celebrating the 2011 world champion Cardinals. I'm trying to think, and maybe you would know off the top of your head, of guys that are still active from that team. So you got Yachty, you got Wayno, you got Albert, and maybe our texters can help us. Descalso, Jay, I know they're trying to to catch on with some teams. I'm not sure who else is doing that, but yeah, Carpenter gonna... technically was was on that roster, Correct. right? Yes, he was. He has a ring. Um, not many though. Obviously, Tony Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn was on that team. Oh, yeah. Lance Lynn, the famous bullpen game that came out. Um, A texter said, Descalso never got enough love here. One of my favorites throughout the years represented the Cardinal way. He was a typical Cardinal way type player. He was developed by the St. Louis Cardinals, came through, and played all over the diamond. By the way, Daniel Descalso, if memory serves correct, was a finalist, speaking of gold glovers, was a finalist for the gold glove at third base in 2011. So David Freeze gets all the love of being the third baseman of the Cardinals in 2011. Many times 
at the end of games in 2011 because Daniel was so good defensively. He would go in in late inning situations to play defense, and he talked about that hit in 2012 that he had. Daniel Descalso late innings too was money. I mean, he had some big, big hits for the Cardinals in regular season play. It was something like a 600 average seventh inning or later one year. It was ridiculous. So he was a very, very good player for the St. Louis Cardinals. So congratulations on 10 years for Daniel Descalso. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. It is 1041 in St. Louis, the Friday edition of the Danny Mac Show with BK. Uh, 314, Danny Mac, you're right about Descalso. Uh, close and late situations, he was clutch. Matter of fact, if you go back to game six of 2011, um, Daniel Descalso led off the inning. Remember, Josh Hamilton had homered, and it was Descalso who faced Darren Oliver, tough lefty. Cardinals actually had Darren Oliver at one point. And we Descalso- talked with Darren Oliver last summer. Remember, yep. Jamie Rivers uh, was on with us. <laughs> and that so was a fun conversation. It was Darren Oliver who came in, and Descalso and Jay had, by the way, John Jay had had a pretty poor postseason. But actually, in that run um, of 2011, John Jay had been really good against lefties. Descalso had not. But John Jay had a poor postseason. But yet Descalso was great against uh, guys late, didn't matter, lefties or righties, but was really good late, close situations, but not good against lefties. And it just happened that John Jay and Daniel Descalso, these rookies, were awesome in game six. There are so many storylines about game six. You could write a book on all these guys. It was incredible, BK. And I, I just heard Ferrario giggling back there. He's yeah, probably giggling about the red jerseys last night. Before we get to that, Dan, I just looked this up. Daniel Descalso in 2011, late and close. He hit 360 there you go. with a 495 slugging percentage in 2011. Ridiculous. Two outs, runners, and scoring positions. He hit 300 with a 500 on base percentage and an OPS of 1,000. Is that good? It's it's as if he turns into Mike Trout whenever he comes up. Uh, two outs, runners, and scoring position or a late close game in 2011. Is he available for this season? <laughs> he is. <laughs> yeah, actually, he is. Yeah, he's Call looking. him up, Danny. Yeah, 2019 was his last. Last year in the big leagues, he played for the Cubs, I believe. So he spent, I think it was either two or three years in Colorado. He had a couple of years in Arizona. Um, he was with the Cubs and then did not play last year. And then he just told us he's working out in the Bay Area. He grew up an Oakland A's fan, as he mentioned. I remember talking to him multiple times about uh, cheering for the Oakland A's and uh, the Bash brothers and all that and and loved the fact that he got a chance to play for Tony La Russa, which is pretty cool. So we'll see if he and John Jay find jobs in coming up this season. But neat to see, as you know, BK, I mean, these guys, if you get 10 years in the big leagues, that's the mark. So if you get 10 years, you're fully vested, which means when you retire, you get the full pension. And that's not too shabby. That's a lot of money coming your way when you're hitting 55 and you get that full pension for Major League Baseball. And it's just pride, right? Because a lot yes. of these guys, I mean, Descalso broke in at 23, so it wasn't like he was super late. But for a lot of these guys, they'll break into the big leagues around 25, 26 years old. And if they're able to stick around for 10 years, 
That means they extended the back end of their career really well because you get more expensive. The salary for veteran minimums is higher than it would be for a rookie coming in. So you have to be better objectively than that rookie. Otherwise, they're paying you more to be worse than that rookie would be. So it's it's a tough thing to do. And for Daniel Descalso, he carved out one hell of a career. Great guy in the locker room and was, as you said, as solid defensively as they come. We've had some people asking about Edwin Jackson, who is pitched for just about everybody. That included the 2011 uh, St. Louis Cardinals. And in 2011, he had pitched with the White Sox, the Toronto Blue Jays, and he was part of the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was the Colby Rasmus deal that brought Edwin Jackson to St. Louis, and then he pitched with the Cardinals, and then after that, I think he went to the Nationals. I remember he signed a big deal with the Cubs. He went back to Toronto. He went back to Chicago. He's a really good guy. I mean, you don't bounce around the league as much as he does. He's pitched for like 14 or 15 major league teams. He's been with Toronto, I think, three or four times. I know he's gone to Washington, Oakland. Uh, Last time he pitched was in 2019. I do not believe he pitched in 2020 with anybody. So that would be a logical pick of a 2011 member that still would be pitching in major league baseball. So you got Albert, Wayno, Yachty, uh, who am I forgetting here? Lance Lance Lynn, Tony is managing... And that would be about it. That's still left from the 2011 club. So you're going to have a lot of those guys being honored at some point, if and when we can have uh, some of those days to honor the 2011 team. I I had to ask you guys, we talked about it all morning on the morning show, the red jerseys. Uh, BK, come on. I'm out. I'm going to go ahead and leave the floor open, though, because I know my guy, Alex Ferrario, he texted us the moment that they walked out onto the ice, and he was like, oh, my God, have you seen these things? Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, look, Dan, I I think you are one of the best broadcasters in the game. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that you have phenomenal taste in sports knowledge. Yes. But what the hell is wrong with you, Danny Mac? Well, I think the Blues, because we're talking about it and because a lot of people are buying them, it's worked, so it's well, done. Ev- yeah. It's it's absolutely worked, but it looked terrible. Oh no, it didn't look terrible. Yes. Now, I'll give you this, Dan. When they were when they were warming up, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like this. But then as soon as that puck dropped and it started to be, and then they like, they fell behind action, three nothing. Yeah. No, they, look, we're not going to talk about the score, Dan. That has nothing to do with the jerseys. The jerseys did not suck the talent from the Blues. I don't care what people tweeted me last yeah, night. Certainly didn't help. Uh, okay, enough. Good from call, you, BK. BK. Dan, I, I did think I think I came to the bottom of it though last night when I was watching this game. Listen to this. I think the people that despise these jerseys like are the people that actually lived and understood the Mike Keenan area. Now, I BK was doesn't matter because yeah, BK was, was in KC. Hold on. No, Hold on. BK, BK wasn't in gay KC, and BK has bad taste in the jerseys. That he's not involved with this, Dan. But correct me if I'm wrong here. I was having Pe- flashbacks. People like me, Dan, yes. who lived through the Mike Keenan era, but you know, didn't understand how bad of an era it was. That's why I like the jerseys. But you hate it. Jamie Rivers doesn't like it because you know what happened in that Mike it Keenan It has era. nothing to do, to do with, with Mike era. Keenan. 
Okay. Well, it is everything you, you do with how bad they looked. Well, but then both of you just have t- horrible taste in jerseys because those were phenomenal. The only thing good about what we saw last night was Bennington looked incredible. Yeah, looked like Cujo, didn't the, he? The, the mask was great. The pads were the amazing. Oh, yeah, those were sick. Bennington looked great. The rest of the roster normally looks fantastic. Looked god awful. You know you what? Could shoot it all into the sun. Uh, then, then you guys forward. just go enjoy looking at subway wrappers on the Minnesota North Stars when the Blues play them, and I'll stick with the good jersey. I'll tell you what, I, this retro throwback thing, I get it. It's a great way to make some money, and everybody's talking about it, so it, it works. I get it. That's why you do it, and we're all talking about it this morning, and people on social media are going nuts about it, so it it, it worked, okay? Yeah, it I, that's did. why you do it. I, I'm okay with it, but I, ha- I can have an opinion about it. Yeah, but the people that are saying, like, they should wear these more often, no. Get all the way out of here. Take that awful take. Throw it in the garbage. I've got plenty of them as well. Trust me. You'll be there with BK's <laughs> takes. Yeah, I'll be right there next to you. It'll be like the water cooler. We're talking about our bad takes as we throw them away. But that is an awful one. If you want to talk about a jersey they should wear more often, it's the winter classic jerseys, not these ones. Or it's the actual retro jerseys, like the ones that aren't the red. Sure. It's the because look, I will agree. I'm not on board with they need to wear these more often because there are so many better jerseys that the Blues can wear more often than those reverse retros. But for four times in a season, I'm all on board with this because it takes me back to the '90s. They have what, like five uniform combinations that they wear? Winter Classic. They got the uh, the, the normal, normal ones. Either way. They got the retro, the reverse retro, and then they have that vintage one. So yeah, I think there's like five that they wear. This was fifth or or potentially even sixth. BK, I had to get Ferrario on because you knew he was going to love this. You knew it, right? Well, yeah, he told me yesterday how much he loved him. Oh I mean, he, he professed his love as if he was I talking did. about his crush that he had as an adolescent. I mean, it, it Which was, was those years. It was amazing. And now he's acting like an adolescent. Uh, okay, Dan. You know I love you. You uh, know we I. We dogs, bro. We, we are dogs. 314, I'm still embarrassed that Gretzky had to wear that. I totally agree <laughs> that Wayne Gretzky, the Babe Ruth of the sport, had to wear that thing. We have another, uh, we have now multiple texts rolling in, and a lot of people saying it looks like some uh, some team that gathered together to play roller hockey. That's I, I think that's a fair assessment. I, I put on Twitter last night assessment. that it looked like watch yourself, and we may have to cut your mic. Um, I love the Cujo mask. I'm all good with that. But then that's where it ends. That's it. The Cujo uh, mask good is good. Too, and Bennington did look like Cujo last night. That was the only positive of the game last night. And there's yeah, one line that played well. I can't tell both of you, though, how many people I had tweet me last night during the broadcast saying, Ferrario, this loss is on you. Yes, it saying is. how much you love that jersey. Well, Every you take a lot you, of heat. But that loss in particular. It's true. He takes a lot of heat. And he should, BK. You know, he's, he, he, I mean, he's got Hall and Oates out there after one day of practice, and now he's got, you know, the return of Pronger McKinnis coming out there on the ice, too. Yeah. So he should take this. Well, we're going to have to talk about this Oates thing. Uh, the whole thing, uh, at least he looks kind of, he's starting to get it together. The Oates part of the conversation is becoming more and more disappointing. Guys, I spoke Nolan Arenado into fruition, <laughs> so I cannot go wrong for the rest of this. The season. 95%. That's yeah. damn right, Danny Mack. All right, cut his mic. PK, <laughs> okay, we're out. let's wrap up our conversation. So the, the one question I know that you wanted to throw at me, did the Arenado deal open up a three-year championship window for the Cardinals? And I think the answer to that is if one of the young outfielders, because I still think the lineup, it's good, it's not great. Now you take Fowler out of the equation, and, and really the question becomes, does one of the young outfielders step up? Is Dylan Carlson Dylan Carlson? Um, is Bader going to continue to 
progress like he did a year ago. And Bader, by all accounts, was solid last year. Not great. He was okay. But is somebody else going to step up? Can Tyler O'Neill be a slugging left fielder like you need him to be? Is Lane Thomas going to be the player that they expect him to be? And if you get that, then all of a sudden you got something. And if not then you're going to have some issues in the back end of that lineup. Sure, and I'm less I'm less worried about like the is the roster as currently constructed a championship roster and more of a in John Mozeliak's mind, am I in my winning window right now, right? Not not just to win the division, but to really go for it here. The way that we heard uh, Doug Armstrong talk so often about Hey, the Ryan O'Reilly trade was the moment when we went into it's go time mode. That was a five-year window that they entered the moment that they traded for Ryan O'Reilly, and now they're in year three of that, and they've tried to make good on it so far. You've got Paul Goldschmidt now in his age 33 season. He's not getting any younger. You've got three years left with Jack Flaherty on this current contract. We'll see what happens with him after that. You've got Dylan Carlson for cheap in, as he sort of started starts to enter his prime, and now you have another all-star, like gold gloves, superstar caliber player. And oh, by the way, you've got Yadi and Wayno potentially on their last legs here this upcoming season. So I think for Mo, there's a little bit of a turning of the page. We've talked so much about the transition years. We thought it was going to be, or at least a lot of people did, 2021. That was the end of that transition. I think it was actually 2020 that was the end of the transition, and now we're back into winning time now the way that we were in the early 2000s and then again in about 2011 through 2015-ish. 618, what happens with Carpenter? I think the bigger question is, is the DH in the National League? That's where some of his at-bats would come from. I'm not sure that that's a decided uh, situation yet before we start the regular season. I still believe that the DH would be coming potentially to Major League Baseball. I, I'm just not sold that that's not going to happen. Both sides wanted. It still can be negotiated before we throw our first pitch. That would be where some of the at-bats come. I think he can play second base. I think that would be happening too. And maybe Tommy Edmond gets some at-bats in the outfield if some of those outfielders falter. So that's where the flexibility of Arenado comes in to where all of a sudden Tommy Edmond goes out to the outfield at times. Matt Carpenter plays some of the second base position. That's where it could happen. The two biggest questions for this team heading into the season for me are at leadoff. Who's going to be that guy who fills in that role? Can Tommy Edmond do that capably this year? And then the second one, they're all kind of related. Who steps up from that outfield other than Dylan Carlson? And if you get a positive answer on both of those things, if Edmond can be your leadoff player and he's filling in admirably at second base, and if you get an outfielder that steps up, Dan, to your point, as we kind of opened up this conversation, that's how you're not just in your winning window, but that's how you potentially have a championship roster this upcoming year. BK, you're coming up with Alex. I had to give him trouble about the jerseys. You know that. Um, you got three hours coming up. What do you guys have coming up? So we got a lot today, Dan. We've got Jason Stark of The Athletic. He's expected to join us coming up at 1115. We've got former Major League Baseball general manager Jim Bowden. We'll get his thoughts on the Dexter Fowler deal his thoughts on the Nolan Arenado deal. He joins us at 12.15. Plus, we got a lot of thoughts on the Blues last night. We got to talk about Robert Thomas. Uh, it's starting to become a legitimate question as to what's going on there. We'll talk about that in the intensity. How is this still a question for the Blues in these second games of the two-game series? We'll talk about all of that coming up from 11 to 2. I know you're a Chiefs fan. Don't worry. 35-17, done deal. Relax. 
Don't even, you don't even have to watch. It's going to be fine, okay? Okay. Just yeah. relax. Have a good weekend. I'm not going to eat for the next 72 hours. Just relax. Great. Just relax. Tanner, great job. We'll talk to everybody Monday at 10 on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to The Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.